So, are you ready for some growth? How about 78 apartment buildings in the next 18 months? That is what you're going to discover in the next upcoming two episodes. Let's go! Welcome to the Russell Westcott Podcast, helping real estate investors like you acquire the inspiration, knowledge, and skills that you need to start, grow, and scale the real estate investing portfolio of your dreams. Hey gang, how's it going? Russell Westcott. Hope you're having yourself a wonderful day. I'm actually just uh, recording this the day after going out to a live real estate investing workshop. Wow, real people. It was like, wow, are you real? Are you real? It's like you put you know, poke them in the shoulder. Man, real people in a real live investing seminar. Oh, it was nice. It was nice to see smiling faces. It was nice to get some hugs. It was nice to get, uh, you know, connect again with the, with the local community of real estate investors and more to follow, more to come, a lot more upcoming events. I'm going to be hosting a few myself. I'm going to be putting together some killer uh, materials and some killer workshop events. So so stay tuned. Um, if you're following along in the podcast or YouTube channel, I'll, you know, I'll give you ample notice when we're going to start putting those out. But it was wonderful. You know, I, I love the connection. I love Zoom. I love putting out the podcast and I love, you know, having the opportunity to spend some time in your earbuds on a weekly basis. I love that. But at the same time, you know, there's just something about just getting out and seeing people in real life and just problem solving, right? Like last night, I connected with a couple people I hadn't seen in a couple of years. And already, um, I'm already, we've got lunch appointments booked to talk about some really cool collabs, some collaborations of some opportunities, some collaborations on some business ideas, some collaborations on, on moving forward with a couple pretty cool initiatives. But anyways, that's what can happen when you're in real life with real people moving forward. All right, so let's dive into today. Today, I um, hope I got your attention in the opening tease for today's episode about buying 78 apartment buildings in 18 months. This is when I went into the archive of uh, the Raising Capital Academy, pulled out an interview I did a couple years ago with a wonderful real estate investor, Mr. Mike Everett. And Mike and I sat down in the old home studio and we did one of the four-part interviews that the Raising Capital Academy members have had access to for, geez, better part of a couple years years now. And Mike just kind of walked us through the story of how he was able to buy those 78 apartment units in 18 months. You know, one of the things that Mike, um, as a profession, is he was a detective. He was in uh, special services, special forces within the RCMP. So he had a, a detective background. So he talked an awful lot about how his role in law enforcement helped him with his real estate. He shared how he was able to buy eight apartment buildings, which equaled out to those 78 units. He talked about the importance of putting together a great lending application, conducting your due diligence like a detective. He talked about um, how he raised the capital, his ideal investor performa, a persona. He talked about his his business structures, how he raises capital. And also we went into a lot of um, detail into some cash flow performers. We went into some of the advice he would give, plus also how to protect yourself with investor exemptions. If you've been noticing over the past couple episodes, I've been trying to um, bring to you some incredible resources, some incredible people about helping you protect your interests when out raising capital and going forward from there. Now, so many more resources to come. Uh, raising Capital Academy members, I've got uh, another couple lawyers. I've got five lawyers who've already contributed to the program, and I have another two um, security lawyers that are going to come in to help structure, protect each and every one of the people within the community. Okay, so 
Pay attention in this episode about some of the simple ways how you can move forward. You know, once again, this will be an episode on growing, scaling, larger numbers. And I think it's an aspirational topic for everybody to dive into. And it's going to have a lot of fun. Now, I'm, you know, in the last one, I thank you for all your feedback and insight and people sharing back to me about the Plato Oplomo moment. And if you haven't, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and listen to the two-part episode I have with Justin Smith to have the listening exercise from there. Um, And this one, I'm going to keep the opening really tight. But what I want you to do is pay attention to part two of this interview. I'll have an announcement at the end of that episode. Okay, gang, with all that being said, let's dive into it head first and discover how to buy 78 apartment units in 18 months. Please help me welcome Mr. Mike Everett. All right, everybody, Russell Westcott, welcome back to the Raising Capital Academy interview series. A really cool interview here to share with you today. I'm joined in the studio. You know, we may have a few dogs barking and everything when the studio is studios in the home. So I'm joined here by a really good friend, uh, Mike Everett. Mike has been, you know, I, I would say that you've been slowly under the radar, been amassing a pretty big portfolio, but that's about to change. I think the word is out, Mike, of what's what's going on and what you what you've done. We have a lot to get through and a lot of information to share. But before I do, I just want to say welcome, Mike Everett. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Thank you. Good. Mike, we're going to get into what you've done uh, and what you're doing and how you're doing it. But before we really get into all that information, maybe if you could just share with everybody watching. So everybody who's watching is going to be in different phases of raising capital. They're going to be in, they're just getting started. They're going to be in the phase of maybe they've done five or six places and they're maybe looking for the next level. And then they're also going to be into the place where they're going to be scaling hundreds of properties and raising multi, multi multi-million dollar thing there. I would say you're now transitioning into the scaling part, right? Like significantly transitioning. So we have a really cool story here to share with you. So before we do get into all that, the how-tos, maybe give people a little background about what you're doing, what you're up to, maybe where you've come from to this uh, standpoint, maybe some of your experience that have got you here. So we bought our first uh, investment property about uh, 2010, uh, right about the time we uh, we joined Rain. That's where we we met. Yeah. And just a single residential, and it was it had a suite of basement, but we gutted it right down to studs. I never picked up a hammer in my life. Uh, I, I call it the Home Depot Bible, the orange book they sell about housing systems. Yes. And I just learned from that. I just learned on my own and just did it. I took it right down to studs, rebuilt the whole thing. I did it. I think it was like I spent about $15,000 in the entire suite. And then I got about, of that 15000 I got $9,600 in rebates back from the government. Mm-hmm. So that was, uh, it was nice savings on that. And then just, I rented out. And then all of a sudden, my uh, all my debt evaporated because I was still living the same life. And I got an extra $900 a month or $800 a month for rent, whatever it was back then. Just a two-bedroom basement suite. And all my debts erased and I was hooked. Right. Um, that was 2010. 2010, in, just after the subprime crisis, so yes. credit was still very liberal, Yeah, and we were able to leverage the first couple properties, like just basically own this one, we refinanced up to a certain percentage because we added value with the basement suite, yeah. and we did other renovations as well, and then we kept that house, we moved it to the next one, and we bought that one during, because of the subprime crisis, all the, all the housing crashed, yep. 
the prices had adjusted. We knew it would readjust back, or at least I, I felt I had that instinct mm-hmm. that it would fall back, come back, and uh, it did. And then we were able to buy another one with our in-laws. And we, then I think a year later, when the prices readjusted, we uh, refinanced and bought another uh, coach house. We were in the coach houses back yeah. then. So in Surrey, in Surrey, Surrey Clayton Heights. Clayton Heights, that was actually, yes. did we not? We had, I believe at Rain, we had a, a field bus tour. Yeah. A bus tour yeah. right yeah. around that time. Yeah. So was it was that uh, around when you were were you part of that or did yeah you? yeah I was okay. I was uh, trying to think who who my bus facilitator was but I, that's I'm too old right. for that. To so so that. guys, just to hear something, just one point already. How many people there was there? Maybe a couple hundred people that went on that trip. Not yeah. everybody took action. You actually took some action from yeah. there. Were you so, already owned a few of those coach houses? Yeah, before? we owned two. Yeah, uh, and then I've actually had two friends buy coach houses as well. Based on advice, and I got another friend currently now that they're million dollar valuation actually going to buy one. Mm-hmm. This week, right? So, for people that might not be familiar with Coach House, what's a Coach House? Coach House is a uh, it's a basically an apartment on top of a garage behind yeah. behind the home. Yeah. Then you have inside the home, you have I guess you got three floors: the basement, the upper floors. Uh, a lot of people in Clayton Heights will uh, suite the basement. It's an unauthorized suite because you're only supposed to have your two in the city Surrey, and that's right. before city council right now. So it's it's a risk if you do it now. So right. uh, you have to know that. Yeah, but it's good money maker. The one we got, we were like fourteen hundred cash flow a month. Yeah, it was it was pretty good money maker. So essentially, it's called by many different names: garage suites, garden suites, laneway housing, yeah. different things. Essentially, it's a it's a suite above the garage, and then in where you were, people were actually putting unauthorized suites in the house as well. So essentially, three rental units on yes. one piece of property. Yes, right. And no different than what's going on we're seeing in Edmonton a little bit right now. Yeah, uh, but a lot of people are not putting the basement suites in. They can do it unauthorized after the yeah. fact, but it can't be built that way. They won't get authorization from the city on that. Yes, but you, like say, when you put the basement suites in, just like say the issue, the biggest issue is safety, right? Yeah. So you always want to make sure you're up to code, and you know it's something you don't want to. It's a risk if you go unauthorized, but yeah. if you uh, do it, just make sure the safety is there, and that's the most important thing, right? So, so one of the topics and themes that we're going to be touching on quite a bit throughout our present uh, our time today is going to be on around diligence and risk and all that kind of wonderful things. And you have a you have a background in law enforcement. Yes. Right. So how has that helped serve you for this game of real estate investing? Uh, I think it served well. Investigation due diligence comes naturally. It's yeah. second nature. Um, you can talk to someone and pick them apart, like in an interview or yeah. inter- just just talking to them. You can just because you're you just consistencies, right? You just remember things. So with tenants, managers, real estate agents, so if, they, if they're not consistent, you can kind of get a flavor of mm-hmm. you know whether you want to do business with that with that person or if you want them as a tenant. It helps. I mean, there's been a few that snuck by and I've mm-hmm. let my guard down. Uh, one person was another uh, law enforcement officer, corrections officer that I let let in that I, I gave a lot of leeway to just because and i didn't follow up with a lot of stuff um because it and she was uh, probably the worst tenant i've ever had and she cost me a lot of money so you just get you still gotta do due diligence no matter what even if they're law enforcement yeah so i imagine you you know you get a you get a pretty thick skin in that in law enforcement which serves you well in real estate the whole investigation and the diligence side of just you know you probably take that extra five steps where most people would stop digging underneath in the layers of things you actually will dive even deeper yeah and the, just because you've seen you've seen it haven't yeah. you in the expression of peeling onion i try to get to the core right I, I just i just know that at every turn like you have to like information is power 
Yeah. And never, you can't say that enough. And I remember in Dawson Creek, this, we were still buying houses at the time. In Dawson Creek, uh, it was big, all the LNG push. They even made a ministry on LNG. So the, the impact of LNG in that area in Dawson Creek and Fort St. John was quite substantial. We bought a house there and we got uh, lower mainland rents for half the cost of the house. So it was mm-hmm. a it was really good cash flowing house uh, when we bought it. It actually still is to this day. But on the great thing about a small city like Dawson Creek is they list all the major employers on the website. Mm-hmm. And of the 10 employers, I think the majority of them were public traded companies. So you could pull their financials. So it wasn't enough that we did the economics for the area and what was saying, what was coming. I actually confirmed in all their, I went through and pulled up financials and I could, you could see they're expanding, they're hiring more employee, their training costs were, were expected to go up and they were forecasting uh, capital expenditures, meaning they were probably expanding. So it was just like little confirmations like that, like little nuances like that that made me feel, it was like another checkbox. Right. It made me feel more secure. So there's, uh, Barry McGuire would say there's diligence, which is just enough information. Yeah. Then there's due diligence. And then there's investigation, almost, right? And to the level that you're taking. And you, yeah. you're actually, you, we were talking, you're developing a software program to help yes. take that another step forward as well. Yes. And maybe we'll talk about that towards the end, if that's, sure. that's cool. Okay. So no, I'm jumping around a little bit, but so 2010, first place in Clayton Heights. What'd you pay for that first coach house? Um, it was actually Lang- Langley House. Uh, okay. uh, Langley House, uh, I think I paid, it was the lowest price building in the lower mainland. Yeah. Second, the lowest. So it was one across the street was one was 10,000 lower okay. when it sold. Uh, after we added the value, uh, I think we paid 359 Okay. <laughs> That's what's your best estimate. What's so, that be worth today? 750 750 Okay. Which is actually still fairly yeah. low. Yeah. Right? So we ended up selling it. I we I just recently sold it because we were we, yeah. we went into multifamily. So it's one of the houses we divested. Yeah. And we used that money to buy multifamily. So mm-hmm. we sold it for ironically, uh five thirty five or five thirty ish. So we made good good money. Well, we, and plus we we held it for five years like after we, we moved from that house. Huh? So the rental revenue, I mean, I think we had about hundred and fifty thousand rental revenue as well. Yeah. So it was pretty good. And then you said you've invested up in northern BC as well into yeah. the Dawson Creek. Dawson Creek, yeah. How, how many properties did you purchase? Just up just there? one house, just a one single house. residential, uh three bedroom upstairs and a one bedroom uh, furnished downstairs. Yeah. So humble beginnings. To say the least, yes. eight years as a, as a starting point. So, guys, everybody starts wherever they start, but uh, you might want to actually pay attention to a couple of these next numbers we're about to share. So, you've been on a tear over the last two years or a year and a half? What has it been? Probably a year and a half. A year and a half. So, you've been diving into multifamily properties. Yes. How many units have you bought in the last year and a half? Well, six years ago, we bought our first multifamily. Yeah. Okay. And then, which provided the, was another, the refinance that from the capital gain on that provided the impetus for this push on multifamily. So in the last year, year and a half, we've bought eight more multifamily buildings. Eight in a year and a half. Yeah. And uh, how many units? Total 95, but 78 doors in the last year and a half. 78 doors. So you would suffice it to say you're now scaling. Yes. Right. And you, you know, you probably had some of the capital yourself, which you divested things and refinanced a few things, but you've started raising capital as well. Have you not? Yes. Um, who have you been raising your capital from at the moment? Uh, friends, family, business associates, a couple times a, a credit investor. Yeah. yeah. It's been, it's been pretty good. And it's just kind of, it just happens. Like mm-hmm. you just have to recognize the opportunity when it comes along yeah. and then you just have to, it's a no brainer. Like if you know what you're doing and you recognize the opportunity, it's just, you just click, you just do it. So <laughs> I know you're, you're being very humble and very modest about this, but you know, we can suffice to say that eight years, you're an overnight success. And just getting started, you might even just think that you're actually just starting out. Overnight success, no. Yeah. Uh, it's taken eight. It's taken that full eight years. Yeah. It's like 
the way I describe it is like if you have an ocean liner in the middle of the ocean, like, you know, and it has yeah. to make a turn. It doesn't turn on a dime. It yeah. takes takes some time. So when we switched from multi from the single residential to the multifamily, uh, that focus, it took probably three years to set it up. Mm-hmm. And there was a series of things that had to be done. Like we sold off some properties, refinanced, and with it, and the new, and you add the new mortgage rules coming into that because yeah. that's what we forecast was all. You could see the changes in the tightened credit market, and mm-hmm. the more houses we got, I think we were up around six or seven houses, and you could see how difficult it was. Anything above five, it was like the banks were taking so much longer. We had to extend subjects a few times, yep. so it changed the whole dynamic. So we just, you could just see what's coming. So we just started divesting of the single residential we went multifamily. It's a different sandbox, but mm-hmm. the rules are consistent. Yeah. And that's what I want to, you know, once you get a system, I just wanted to execute and repeat, repeat, repeat. And so we, we set it up and then we went into it. And then opportunity, as we were going into it, opportunities kept coming up as yeah. we do this. And it, it just, it's like when you've had, you have some success, it's like almost like it just attracts. Yep. It's- People in motion will attract other people to keep the momentum going. Yes. Right. And and honestly, you know, I've been getting out again too, and I've been speaking at a lot of networking events in the Lower Mainland, and Mike is at every one of them. Yeah. Like, and and there's no coincidence why you're raising capital and you're meeting people and you're sitting there going, well, I'm doing this deal and I'm doing this deal, and all of a sudden, guys, I, I say this all the time. It's like you can see the people in action because. There's Mike in the middle, and he's surrounded by about five or six people. And in those five or six people, you see the lean-in factor where people are leaning in. Well, Mike is now becoming an expert. Not becoming. You, yeah. you are an expert. And people are now starting to be attracted to you. So you subscribe to the attraction method, not the pursuit method. Yes. Right? Well, it's, or that's the way it's worked out. Yes. So it's taking me by surprise. Right. So... And- Surprise, but, but eight years of, you know, nose to the grindstone. And, and you were just saying that one of the things that you do is, you know, how about this for dedication? You were saying that, you know, once you put the kids to bed and play with the kids and you got three young children. Yeah, all so, under, five and under. Uh, five and under. So guys, don't make, there's no excuses. Right? <laughs> Having a family is no excuse. And you say sometimes after that, after they go to bed, you put another how many hours of research and reading and stuff like that probably eight or nine hours eight or nine hours after the kids have most, gone to bed. most most nights most nights so i don't think there's any coincidence that's what has happened over the last 18 months yeah my pet peeve well it's not, not really a pet peeve but the one thing i don't like is when people tell, tell you that you're so lucky mm-hmm. it's not luck it's hard work it's a grind yes and the grind is when you when you don't want to do it you're just so tired of it and you just it's like going to the gym right if, if you're tired of it, you just don't want to do it and you just got to do it and then after you've done it whatever thing that you've done for that day you just feel better for it yeah yeah you know and somebody comes to and says that whole you're you're lucky you know without getting into it uh, right off the bat i just uh, thank you but honest to goodness they're actually doing a disservice for dishonoring the price that you have paid for the past eight plus years of all that work and time. It's really, they're do, they're being disrespectful. Yeah. To be honest. Or, and then yeah. the ones that, and then uh, because I'm in law enforcement, then you, there's, you got people that suggest corruption because you're they're, They don't, because they don't know how to do it. So they suggest because they don't mm-hmm. understand it. Right. So I'm like, and I'm like, I'll freely tell them, I go, yeah. just ask me a question. I'll show you how it's done. Mm. I go, I'll mentor you. I'll help you out. Just, you got to put, you got to put the effort in and I'll help you out. Yeah. Most people will not do the work. That's the issue. Right. And, and, you know, I, I, it's quite interesting. Obviously the person that says that the law enforcement and the corruption obviously doesn't know you because Mm. from our conversations, I actually think you actually go too far because of your background in law enforcement. I guess there's no, no such thing as too far ever, but you actually take things to another degree of making sure that you're on the right side. 
Yeah. Well, I'm required to as well. So yes. um, I have like my oath to this country, right? Yeah. So what I do, so I'm, I'm required to, to take it to that degree. Like it's black and white yeah. on a lot of issues. Although I know there's a lot of gray area, but I like to keep it black and white just mm-hmm. to be above reproach. Yeah. So these partners you've in, invested with so far, they've been family, they've been friends. You said uh, in-laws was one. Didn't you mention some that there was a neighbor or a best friend, a couple best friends? That best friend. Uh, that was a, that's a cool story. He actually yeah. just won uh, Rookie of the Year at Rain this year. Oh, nice. And nice. I didn't like. And it was funny. We we sat there and we, we neither one of us knew. Yeah. Like he didn't know, and I like I thought I thought he knew. Yeah. But, and then I'm like, what did you tell me? And he goes, <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> so it was it was pretty cool. So he's got his. Uh, he, he bought two multifamilies with him. And he's bought his, he bought a coach house as well. And, and you want to talk about sacrifice and doing what it takes to get ahead. He lives in the basement suite and rents out the top two floors. Wow. Or he, he lives downstairs in the basement and he, he uh, rents out the top floor and the main thing. And he actually gets paid to live in his house. Nice. Yeah. So, yeah. And then that with the, the two multifamilies we bought together, he's now on paper, he's a millionaire. Wow. Which is kind of cool. That's right? fantastic. So, so it's just, it's just started by just within your first level of influence and people you know, right? And now it's branching out into people who you know and it's people of them, the friends and the families and the referrals. And now you're slowly branching into, you know, higher net worth individuals and accredited and accredited investors and things yeah. like that. And you're meeting those through just the way you show up, right? And where just you by showing up. Yeah. Uh, the meetup groups, uh, rain. Uh, just everyday conversations, referrals are huge. Mm-hmm. You know, people are always like everyone out there is looking to take whatever money they have, and then they try to they want to increase, I guess, increase what their nest egg is yeah. or whatever the amount they have. But they, a lot of them don't know how to do it. So mm-hmm. when you have this skill set, you're sought after, and you have that track record to prove it. Like it goes a long ways for trust and professionalism, and you know, and integ- integrity plays a big role of it, yeah. and like that trust, that trusting. Because I mean, they're giving you a lot of money, so yeah. you got to be transparent and. You got to just like say, I, I go up, go above and above beyond, and I try to be as transparent as I can. Oh, that's awesome. And and speaking of awards, which meant you just mentioning some hardware, you just it just came off of the award ceremony at the Real Estate Investment yeah. Network, and you were up for six categories? Six, six, six? Ca- categories, we won four. You won four. So it was a pretty good year. Tell, toot your horn. This is your uh, chance. Toot your horn, brother. The one that I was surprised, uh, Renovator of the Year. Yeah. Uh, that was a uh, six flex, and, and Prince George was the main one. We've done other ones in our other buildings, but. The main one that we bought it for two hundred seventy thousand was practically free, and we've done the renovation, complete renovation, new boiler, new hot water tanks. One suite was vacant, right? The studs we renovated that, new roof, we did everything. It's actually a pretty cool building now, and it's I think it's worth about six hundred six fifty ish now. Nice. So that's what quite, you know doubled the value, but we only yep. 25 percent down. So we have three, four, four to six hundred percent return. I have I have to calculate the exact numbers in eight months. Mm-hmm. That's Pretty decent building. So, anyways, we got renovated a year for that one. Multifamily investor yeah. a year, obviously the, yeah. <laughs> the the eight buildings we bought. So, and there was there were some key players that weren't yeah. involved that this year. So, I kind of well, the the Western Canadian Properties yes. Group, maybe Western Wealth is the, <laughs> Western Wealth. Sometimes when they, uh, they Dave, enter, it's a different category. Dave, Dave's yeah. a good friend of mine. Yeah. I, I like him. I respect him, and they're crushing it. So. Yeah, Dave, uh, Dave right. and I are going to be doing an interview yeah. as well. So, yeah. So, so <laughs> oh, yeah. So, listen to Dave, guys. Yeah, when you hear Dave. So. Yeah, he's, he knows what he's doing and he's doing very well. And I guess I didn't, you probably just didn't submit this year. So yeah. I think I was runner up to him last year. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so it's this, the only reason. Yeah, I think. So I think, yeah, so it, it's it's an honor to have it. But I know Dave's, Dave's the king. And then I got the Leslie Clough uh, Top Player of the Year award. Nice. And then I got, which was big surprise. Yeah. And what's. He won the top 10 players. 
No, the, the another top, another the, one. No, I got the top. The top and the Leslie Clough. The top ten as yeah. well, right? Yeah. So yeah. The, the I guess yes. Yeah. Leslie Clough, I think, is the top of the top ten. Yeah. So right on. So but, guys, we, we he knows what he's talking about. Yeah. <laughs> and then the not co-venture. I got I didn't get co-venture this year. I got last year. Mm-hmm. I got innovative investor of the year. So nice. just the techniques you're using to buy the yeah. properties and they add value. And mm-hmm. so I mean we've added value to all the properties we bought. Like say you make your money when you buy. Yeah. And, and we, this isn't even a full gig to full-time gig for you, no. is it? It will be. It will be soon. Uh, like very I'm, soon. I'm looking. I'm looking yeah. forward to becoming a full time gig. So. Right on, guys. Russell Westcott here, part of the Raising Capital Academy interview series. I'm here with Mike Everett, who's just been on a tear over the last eighteen months, and it's kind of a, a culmination of six and a half years leading up to it. A lot of those things, and yeah. and really coming down there. So I want to get into two waves of conversation here. The first wave I want to get into is people that you're meeting now and the deals that you're putting together, what you present, how you're attracting them, how you structure it. And then I also want to get into a scaling conversation that we've had that you're looking to do a pretty big purchase. And you've been doing a lot of research in the background of raising capital from public funds. And uh, I know neither of us are uh, the ultimate experts on that yet, but I think you have a lot that you can share with people right now who might be getting started on that realm of raising public money. Okay, so first wave of questions. There are questions in there. Yeah. <laughs> first wave of question is, um, so when you meet somebody, how do you present what your deal and what your opportunities are to them? Well, the way it's been so far, I gen- generally people express an interest and yeah. they have the money. Yes. So it's, and they're like, you know, you basically, you, you talk to them and you, you make sure that, you know, they're not overstretching themselves and you're, mm-hmm. you know, you know, you want, like, I guess the securities guys would call it know your client. You try yes. and you, you, you go over that and you meet them and you make sure that your goals are aligned and that you're a good fit for each other. Because mm-hmm. if they're going to be worried and they can't sleep at night, they're probably not a good partner. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the whole thing about the diligence and the, you know, the questionnaires yeah. and the kneecap to kneecaps. And you take a lot of time because your time is very valuable. You probably take a lot of time to really vet somebody both ways. It should be yeah. work, should be both ways. So how do you, do you have any questions that you ask people or how do you, okay, let's play here for a second. I, I know with FinTrack yeah. environments, you're like, where's the money coming from? Yeah. Like, you know, so you want to, you want to, you, well, mo- generally most people I know, there is connection to me that I actually know mm-hmm. fairly well. I kind of know where the money's coming from. Yeah. So I, but I confirm it. Like I, I ask, you know, are you doing a refinance? Mm-hmm. Are you, does it, is it savings? Is it from, are you selling an investment or like another investment you already had? Mm-hmm. Like, so you're already in the space. So they're already, they're already that level of sophistication. Yeah. So, or, you know, is it stock, you know, where's the money? You, you have to determine where the money's coming from because right. you're going to get asked for the banks and you're going to ask for like the FinTrack requirements and all mm-hmm. that. So you have to know that going in. So that's one of the key criteria is where's the money coming from? Because yeah. it, it leads into the conversation that, you know, if, if you know somebody's borrowing it, one of the conversations might come up as well, are you going to be able to pay my interest on it? So you just need to know a lot of these things. So so where the money coming from is key. What else is important? What do you need to know from an investment person? So we're meeting and I've said, Mike, man, I love you. Look at all those awards you've won. You're just crushing it. I have some money available. What would you do with me? What are your goals? Okay. Are our goals aligned? Yeah. Can I meet your goals? Yes. So two, two key things. So and then you know once we are kind of on the same page, then I go you know then I go see the project because I'm I'm the belief there's a lot of guys that will go and make offers and they'll tie up a property, mm-hmm. especially in multifamily world. It's a smaller universe. Yeah. And then they will go raise the capital afterwards. Mm-hmm. Problem is if you just once you don't raise the capital and you don't close in that building, you have that rep. Right. So I've never made an offer on a multifamily that I haven't closed. 
So you so always have the money tied up. I, it, you have the, the money, money to is buy. ready, and it's I have ready. money to buy. Okay, and it's good to have that rep, right? right. So they know you're a serious investor, mm-hmm. and that you're not wasting their time. That's important. Like reputation, I think, precedes you when, yep. whenever you put an offer. It also empowers your realtor that's mm-hmm. working on your behalf. Like my one realtor that I use, I think I bought six to seven properties from her this year. She goes there and she can tell him, she says, hey, he's bought seven properties or seven yeah. multifamilies this year. He's closed every one. Yes. You know, so like it, it gives her that ability when she presents that offer that you're not just kicking the tires here. It's a serious yeah. offer. Okay. So, so you need to know my goals to make sure that there's yes. an alignment, right? You need to know where my money is coming from. You probably also need to know that this isn't my last ten thousand by or last yes. hundred thousand dollars that I'm afford. Gonna yeah, I can. Th- afford and there's it. criteria for that. Yeah. Like I think we mentioned that. Like, like you want like the criteria like offer, offering memorandum exempt like exemptions mm-hmm. that you can raise capital from the yeah. public. But right now, I like, say it's everything's friends, family, and business associates right now. So yes. like, but I want to go out into that realm to raise more. Yes. And then, then we'll get, I guess you said we'll get into that later. Yeah, we'll get into that maybe on, on segment three because I, okay. I think there's a real key thing because there's some things that I'm seeing out in the marketplace that are actually kind of a little scary. Yes. Where people are raising capital from the market, from the general marketplace without having the proper background or documentation or knowing the clients. And, and you know, we're just here to, one of the goals with this project that I'm working on is to, to defend and advocate for people in it, right? Yes. And uh, and to just make sure that we're all protected on what we're doing. Because the last thing I want to see is, you know, someone being, you know, thrown, and it would probably never be thrown in jail, but, you know, being slapped down by securities and things like that too, because you've gone too far and too high and just yep. overstretched and things like that. Okay, so back to the conversation. Our goals need to be aligned. You need to know where the money is. Uh, you need to know that potentially you'd show me a project or we maybe would go see it. What else do you need to know from me in qualifying me in order to make sure that we can work together? Do you want to be part of it or do you just want to be a passive investor? Mm, great question. So uh, a lot of times people are inquiring uh, as men, like what they want you to mentor mm-hmm. on, in the process. And that's, you know, and then they want to, like, I guess the next the next building they think they can do on their own, but they just want that. It's a confidence thing. Yeah. A lot of times, and then in that case, you know, you just kind of spend time with them. Like you mm-hmm. want to say, you know, and if, and if they can do it on their own, I just, I tell them they should do it on their own. Like, yeah. I'm not, it's not about, you know, it's, if you think you can do it on your own, then do it on your own. Like, but if you, if you're aligned and you're, you work well together, then, then by all means go yeah. and create a, a little empire together. So, yeah. So the so next, I would, if I was classified that, it would be involvement. Yes. Are they just completely hands off or they want to be part of it? I do they want to cash checks? Yes. Or do they want to, do they want to be actually okay, so involved when, in that? What kind of money do they want? Do they want yeah. money now versus waiting? So those yeah. are other uh, expectations. Okay. Anything else that you would see? Expectations is a big part. Like yeah. you just, you just, you visit, like say, are they going to expect, are they expecting a monthly check or mm-hmm. is it going to be like at the end of the project that you're going to evaluate it? Because yeah. a lot of them, I, I, or I've just had this experience, they're, because you forecast numbers, right? But you you need to tell them, say, you know what? It, the first year, one to three years, you have to expect one to the first one to three years mm-hmm. is a stabilization time. Yeah. So it's not going to be that perfect scenario because everyone always has, like on paper, it looks perfect. And they're like, oh, when it doesn't perform like that, it's a surprise or yeah. they, they they question it, right? And I'm like, well, like, we went over this. Like this is mm-hmm. this is the part. So you have to gauge the investment from the entire time from the time you have it to the disposal and then you can get you can calculate it and the first year is like the, the buying cost can be you know fairly high yeah so you, you, well you're looking for undervalue underperforming yes. assets because then you get a good price in the multifamily world the you know sorry for the language guys but the shittier the operator that you're buying it from the, the better, better the price might get 
Yes. Right. But you can't turn the tide. You can't turn that around overnight. Yeah. It's like the same, the same analogy of that ship in the ocean, right? It takes a long time to turn that ship. We're going through that process right now, a 20 unit building in Edmonton. The former uh, owner, I believe was, you know, there's, there's some newspaper articles, Mm -hmm. like open source information that identifies him as a drug dealer. So, and there's, of course, there's the the street level drug dealers in the building that we bought. So Mm -hmm. we've, We've uh, removed them. They're all gone. Uh, we have higher vacancy now as a result. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're renovating that building and we're creating it. So the tenant, the good tenants that stay behind, you know, are very appreciative. So, yeah. and by the time we flip that, we're actually going to improve the neighborhood. Nice. So it feels, you know, it was, it was kind of like, you know, we bought the, you know, the worst building on a, on a good neighborhood. Yep. So not the best neighborhood, but like a good neighborhood. Yep. And we're going to filter our, our tenant profile and we're going to raise the value of that building uh, by quite substantially. Yep. So there's two schools of thoughts. Some people will don't want to roll up the sleeves and get into a really crappy situation, which is totally fine. It, you know, you don't different strokes for different folks, yep. right? Some people will maybe want to buy something brand new and turn key, and you know, Bob's your uncle. And what I'm probably finding, you're probably finding, is some of those people that don't want to get involved and get their hands dirty are your best joint venture partners. Yes, right. But then there's some good money to be made for rolling up your sleeves, sticking your nose in, hitting it just head on and just take and dealing with the problem, right? We were talking about uh, back to law enforcement. Yeah. Like it, nothing's, I've seen everything. Like, so yeah. I've seen, or seen a lot. So I haven't yeah. seen everything. I've seen a lot and nothing surprises me. Yeah. So when you go in there and you, you know, people are doing what they're doing at that it's a demographic yeah. and it doesn't, doesn't shock me. It doesn't yeah. surprise me. I just deal with it. Like, yeah. you know, I just, I just take action and you you take action right away. There's no, and there's no doubt about it. And everyone sees you taking action. Like, and there's no hesitation in your mind. It changes and corrects a lot of behaviors yeah. really quick. Yeah. Uh, especially when they get the way things wrong. They know the new sheriff's in town, pardon me, the law enforcement reference, but yeah. they know things are going to change. And you're like, you run a tight ship and, you know, you basically just want a safe place where people can live. Nice. And that's that's my goal. And, you know, you improve the lives of a lot of people there. Yeah. The drug dealers doesn't improve their lives because they get kicked out. Right. They, they can go find an absentee landlord somewhere else. Yeah, go find go find the, the landlord that sold from you. <laughs> Probably still like, got another they, they property go, or two. <laughs> they can go to my competitor and, yeah. and stay and stay with them. So, you know, if you've been following the series, guys, you know that my one of my definitions of a real estate entrepreneur is a professional problem solver. Yeah. All day long. That's what you're doing. And you get paid and compensated very well for being a professional problem solver. Yeah, it's pretty, it's, pretty it's you know, you still got a lot of hair there, I see. So, so. it feels like it's falling out. <laughs> so, so, you know, give you a few more years and get the kids a little older and maybe a few more drug infested apartment buildings. <laughs> you might, might yeah. be in my same boat. But so really, and you also touched on and just mentioned something as well. I think it's a critical point. When you're working with money partners, guys, you will come across it where somebody will always say to you, I think I can do it myself. Right? You hear it all the time. I, you know what I say to that? Go do it yourself. I think you can and I think you should. Yep. Right? And I look at it as a rite of passage. When working with you and working with me, this is the goal I always want to have it with people. That uh, a money partner working with myself thinks it's so easy after it's done, that they can just go do it on their own. That's my goal. Because I've actually had money partners that have worked with me. And after they saw them, they go, oh, yeah. And then they went and bought their own place. And it was just, you know, I'm not going to use the colorful language, but you can, it was a shit show. And they came back and said, you know, here, just we'll work with you for the next ones. Right. Because it just was so easy. That's the definition of professional. 
is somebody well, who makes it easy, look, makes it look easy. Yes. Right? I was going to say, you're, you're the one making it look easy. Yes. That's why they think they can do it. And those people will tell other people because you want to be known as somebody who is easy to work with and somebody who performs and gets the, gets the job done. Reliable and trustworthy. Right. Absolutely. Okay. So, so if we just to reframe and, and wrap that conversation. So you need to know that we're aligned in our goals. You need to know that where the money's coming from. You need to know they need to, for myself, that I'm okay with the asset class, that it's not going to be pretty and I'm not going to live in it. It could be some challenges. You need to know that we can work together and the timelines. You need to know the returns. Anything else? Is that kind of your whole filtering criteria with people or is there a few more? There's probably a lot more, but yeah. it's on the spot. You're going to miss things and things will come up that you never thought of. Yeah. Every deal is different and you learn from Every single transaction, right. you learn something new and say, you know what, I'm going to try and do that different next time, or mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to not mention this or not do this stuff. Or, yeah. you know, I kind of look at myself with another law enforcement analogy, like Kevlar, like my job is to protect the investor. Right. So I put myself between them and any danger. Mm-hmm. They don't need to know information because they say it would stress them out because they're not, they may not be used to that type of stuff. That's for me to deal with. That's why I'm the partner. That's why you got the bulletproof vest on. I'm the Kevlar. <laughs> yeah. And then I also protect them on the back end. Like, so they get their money out of the investment first. So if there mm-hmm. is losses, we take the brunt of it. Yeah. We also uh, take all the buying costs on up front. So all the buying costs, with such a multifamily, you're probably 20, 30,000 into it before mm-hmm. you even close in the building. Right. And we do all the buying costs on our own before we, and then their risk does not begin to we close. Mm-hmm. So everything we do, we design it to protect the investor. Right. And when you have that mentality, like say it engenders trust, it mm-hmm. engenders uh, credibility and that reliability, right? So you're, you're doing everything to protect them. Mm-hmm. You know, so like you say, you know, if you have an issue and you've solved it, even though it was a horrendous issue, yep. but, and then you tell your investor about it and, but it's already solved. They're yeah. like, oh, okay, whatever. Nice. And then it just, you know, they don't care. But if you're telling them while you're doing it and they're waiting and they're by the phone and they're freaking out and, you know, you're just causing them stress that don't, it doesn't have to be caused, nice. right? So like say that shock value, right? So like say it helps to have that experience and know, know how to deal with stuff and just execute. Nice. So really it's a very personalized, hands-on approach at this moment, yes. the way you're, you're, it's structured right now. Yes. And, and rightfully so it should be. Right, because yeah. you know, sorry for a Spider-Man reference, but with great power comes great responsibility. Right, Huge. you're now in charge of somebody's potential uh, financial future and their goals and their hopes and their dreams, and you know, putting the kids through school and being free and clear in the house of Maui and all that kind of stuff. You're part of that now. Yeah. Right? Your job is to make them successful as possible. Yeah, and by default, you're successful. Yeah, you participate in them winning. You first. participate in their success. Yes. So that's your your only job. And, and guys, I hope you guys, everybody wrote that down. You will have an endless supply of investors coming to you if you will always come from a place of doing what's best for them first. Yeah. Right? I agree. And even though when it's hurts and it's painful and, you know, trust me, I've had, I, you know, check out the whole module on beware of the dark side of all yeah. the mistakes. You can check that one out where I'll, I'll share a lot of the mistakes that I've made along the way. But just always having their interest and heart, putting their needs before yours. You know, you eat craft dinner while they're eating caviar is okay. Like that's part of the process. I like craft dinner, so it's, <laughs> it's <right>. okay. <laughs> right. So that is just all part of the process. So I mentioned something about a little bit of, and I'm going to segue here into that second wave of questions about structures. Okay. So, so far right now, you're buying with family and friends and your neighbor and parents and in-laws and accredited investors you've maybe met from a networking event or two. How many investors are you working with right now, just for perspective? Probably a dozen. A dozen, so. okay. Maybe so, 15. Yeah, so yeah. that's that's a really good number. How do you 
structure your purchases? Do you have corporate structures? Do you do personal? What's the primary mode that you're in right now? Multifamily, everything's pretty much corporate. Yep. We own one multifamily in our personal names, which we were surprised. Well, now that now I look back on it, it was yep. our first one. And now, now I look back and I'm surprised that the banks let us do it in our personal name. But we're we're insured, like we're readily insured for it. So mm-hmm. we're that level of protection. I've been thinking about transferring it in, but everything's in corporate, everything's corporated. And then it's just the structure of how you do the corporations. Yep. I think I'm leaning towards the idea of limited partnerships, but right now we're all owned on the uh, we all own a corporation. We issue the shares. It's usually 50-50. And then the investors are directors. And then we're the, we're the officers of the company. Okay. So, so this, we, we basically do the work. Okay. So just, you said that really quick. And I just, Sorry. I'm, I'm slow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so once again, let's come back to you and I invest. I would have my own corporate structure. You would have your own corporate structure. Or the building is corporate. The, the building's owned by one corporation. We both own the shares. And we own the shares of that. And yes. I could, my corporation could own the shares and your corporation could own a share. Yes. Or it could you be do personal. It that way. But then you're, well, the problem is the way that's set up. It's all, it's already, uh, it's, it's double taxation, right? So right. It's a great way of doing it. And then you, I think it meets securities a lot because you're both directors in the corporation. Well, so you're mm-hmm. safe that way. Yeah. But like the double taxation, you get taxed at the corporate level and it's a passive investment. Right. So you get taxed there and then you buy time and money. So it's kind of, it's good, but it's bad. It's, okay. yeah, there's better ways of doing it. Like with limited mm-hmm. partner, uh, you can have a flow through like yeah. the way, the way you do it. So you, it goes right, you know, whether there's a loss or a, a positive, you know, there's, there's tax implications. Like it goes, it, it's only taxed once versus twice. Okay. So, so you have to really you know, look at the, the structures and limited liability partners. Like if you want a partner who just wants to cash checks and doesn't want to be involved in any mm-hmm. management, uh, limited partnerships do better because they actually their only response with their liability stops with what they've put into the building. Right. So, right. but as soon as they get, they took an active role in management, mm-hmm. like the other ones, then they become as liable as the I guess would be the general partner. Okay. So you want you know it depends like say that interview at the beginning like say when you define what their role what they what role they want to be mm-hmm. that's important right so if they're going to be actively involved then you got to you know, you, it's going to be just a corporation. If they're not, if they want to be the passive investor yep. and just cash checks, then you kind of want to probably a limited partnership. Okay. So talk to your lawyer. Yeah. Talk to your lawyer or, or your accountant. And guys, as you know, when you go into the interviews, I have multiple lawyers and multiple accountants that we're going to be interviewing and have interviewed. So there's a lot of depth in there as well. So, so, so but that's why we employ them and pay if a lot of If they say something them. different than me, then take their advice because they're the experts. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay. So let's go back to just. In rough, and I just I'm interested in how you structure. You and I own a 12 suite apartment building in Edmonton. Okay, I've put up the money. You're doing all the work. Is it kind of a, a traditional? If, if joint we're using ventures? your imagination, why yes. do we own a hundred suite building? Okay, why not? Okay. But look at me playing so small. Uh, don't don't minimize. Right. Would say a thousand suite building. It'll be multiple buildings. But, yes, you know, and, but it, you'll be like a neighborhood. Okay. And uh, do you work with it that I would have the capital in? Is it a 50-50? How do you typically structure, or is it a everyone's unique or do you kind of have a, a little bit of a model you follow? It's pretty been, every, I think, been unique, but I've been doing 50-50 in the last yep. couple just because I know the value I bring and mm-hmm. you have to know your value. And generally you have conversations with people and when they have capital, they try to hijack the conversation and say, right. well, they want a higher percentage. And I'm like, well, I'm working for free. Like they don't know, like say we talked about it, there's all the setup, the last of getting to where you are, yeah. like in all the books and all the readings. And like, I, I think I've what, 12 years of university, all undergrad mm-hmm. yeah. behind me, plus all the courses I've taken. I'm just finishing the uh, exam market securities course. Mm-hmm. I got to write my exam next week. So like all the effort and all the work goes up into that point. You know, they don't see that. All they see is that they got the capital and they want mm-hmm. a higher percentage. And I'm like, so I'm, I'm very confident what I say, yeah. what I'm doing, and I know how to make their money more. 
So right. yeah, writing the check I, is I, the easiest thing to do potentially, I, right? Yes. And guys, you may not believe that, but if you actually probably looked at behind the scenes of what uh, yeah. Mike does, and I'm sorry to cut you off there, but here's a lesson that I teach everybody to do is take a month, take two months and document everything you do, guys, everything, everything you do, because now you're just building your value proposition that anybody who ever comes to you that's waving, I've got the $250,000 check. I need more. Okay. You're bringing money. Oh, by the way, here's my long list of things I'm doing. Right. Yeah. Don't want to cut you off there. You're on it doesn't, you got you got to be also, you have to recognize the money where it came from and all yep. the effort they put getting towards that. So, True that. Yes. and they're trying to protect it. So it's a balancing act, but basically their money still stays their money. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't, it's basically just, they're putting it into the project. They get it out first mm-hmm. and then we split the profits. It's not yeah. that we get 50% of their money. Mm-hmm. We get 50% of the profits after yeah. uh, leftover and, and cash flow we split up. And you just said also, you're not coming into it with nothing. You fund pretty, about maybe $20,000. You fund all the upfront diligence yeah. costs. You actually are sharing 50% of the downside too. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, that's a big portion of it. You're also sharing the risk. Yes. So they're going into it without any experience learning. Yep. And you're also sharing the risk with them. Yep. So guys, don't ever discount the value you bring. So so here's a guy who's, you know, and I love having the conversation with business owners or, you know, the, the high net worth people because they know what it took for them to get their money. They know the time and the effort and the sacrifice and the work and the education. And I just frame it back of everything I've done within real estate is the exact thing they did in order to become, you know, a veterinarian or a dentist or whatever of all those years of schools that we've just done different schooling, if you really think about it. So, so this guy knows what he's talking about here. We're just going to quickly uh, reset the cameras one more time. And, and honestly, I'm thinking this is... <laughs> Mike, this could be like a three or four part conversation as well. So if you're, if you're, (laughs) if you're getting some unbelievable value bombs here, make sure you put some comments in below before I forget, tell everybody where they can find you. Do you have a website? Do where, are you still kind of under the radar? Where, where can a person get a hold of you? It's it's under the radar, but mike.everett at readybinder.com. R-E-D-D-I binder. Yes. Dot com. Mike dot Everett. And ready stands for real estate due diligence investing. Yes, which is we're we're gonna chat in that yes. about that in a second. Okay, right back. So gang, how did you like that episode? What was your favorite part? What was the key insight that you took from there? Did you learn about was one of your key insights on how Mike looks at sweats the details, you know, like a detective in what he used to do in his uh, profession, uh, sweating the details like a detective. Did you get some insights into how he structures his deals, how he gets over the fear of raising the capital, how he positions himself as the expert in the transaction? Very deep, so many incredible insights into this one. Now, just pay attention. The next episode of this two-part series will be dropping next week, same time, as you know, Tuesday morning, it's appointment, appointment listening with the podcast. So make sure you've either subscribed, get that automatic downloads, putting into your podcast player, and by all means, please do me a huge favor. If you could, I'd be greatly honored if you get some value, which I know you do. If you get value or you're feeling inspired or encouraged or you're taking some action or you're just moving forward, leave some feedback. Leave a review on the Apple Podcast Player or on Spotify. Leave a review. But more importantly, if you could leave a written review, I think it's a review. I think you give it stars and then you have to leave a review. So I would be totally honored if you could do that. But more importantly than the review and the ratings, if you could share it with somebody. 
you know, as we start opening up and we start getting into more real life networking events, you're going to come across um, some people and people are going to just sit there and go, holy moly, Joan, look at you. Look at all the action you've been doing. What have you been listening to? Oh, I've been listening to the Russell Westcott podcast. Oh, I've heard about that guy. You know, what's what's going on? What's he up to? Oh, just check out his podcast. He's got like 110 episodes there and it's coming out each week. It's crazy inspiring. He's got people on there that are buying apartment buildings, people that are raising LP structures, people that are just buying their first place. It's just something for everybody, whether you're getting started, you're growing or you're scaling. Those are the words you can use to help inspire that other person to share the show with them. Okay, game. I'll leave it there. But make sure if you're listening to this after the fact, go right to the next episode. It's sitting there waiting for you on the player. If you have to wait a week, it'll be well worth your wait. And remember, we end these episodes off exactly the same way each and every time. And every interaction you have with another person, always leave them feeling inspired, encouraged, and please come from a place of love. Bye for now, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Russell Westcott Podcast. Before you run off, could you do us one final favor? Wherever you're listening to this episode, we encourage you to leave a review, share with your friends, and subscribe so you can receive the latest episode to keep you feeling inspired and encouraged for the entire week. Visit www.russellwestcott.com for more information, support resources, and upcoming speaking engagements near you. Bye for now.